Saturday afternoon fever. I'm Matthew Hardy. I'm Lawrence Mooney. Great. My first ever film in the cinema was Willy Wonka for Tim Elford's fifth birthday. And I, from the first scene onwards, thought that I was present in all the scenes. I forgot I was in a cinema. I forgot that it was a mate's birthday. I forgot that it was near our house. I thought that I was in, I was an observer physically within arm's reach of all the scenes. I'm still like that at the football, I think. I could still go out there and if I, if needed to be, I think that there's a chance that I could still do it. I could yeah. still do it if they needed me. If they had too many injuries and had to call. Yeah, I could. I watch, you know, it might be Mission Impossible 5 or something like that. It's like, I could do that. You could jump from the helicopter. I can jump from the helicopter. I'd shatter my pelvis if I had to. <laughs> <laughs> right. Back to the book. Mark Lee. Also, the general. Also visited our school as a league promotions man. As we were in Richmond's recruiting zone at our school, a Richmond supporter had sent a letter requesting that the Tiger Ruckman make an appearance. His head almost touched the building ceiling as Mrs. Attica, our elderly vice principal, escorted him around the corridors. I'd never seen anyone so tall before. Outside on the Oval, despite his attempt to take us through a number of designated training drills, all we wanted to see was how far he could kick. Known, as you've predicted, preempted, as the general, Mark Lee had endeared himself to supporters of all sides with his efforts in a series of Australia versus Ireland Gaelic football games. The games were played according to a compromised set of rules that welded the Irish way of playing with our own. The end result was like two teams playing rugby with a soccer ball. Still, it provided an opportunity to showcase Aussie rules internationally and alongside Gary McIntosh, a belligerent fullback from South Australia with wild eyes and a goatee beard like the devil himself, Mark Lee caused wholesale random destruction in Dublin with his use of the coat hanger. The general's method of using a forearm held out straight to the throat to stop an oncoming player in possession was somehow within the new laws. And whilst it won us the series, I wonder in hindsight about the wisdom behind a British colony upsetting the Irish. Huh? <laughs> we are also an Irish colony, if you I think know. about the diaspora. I was young when I wrote this. The success of local footy clinics led to VFL-organised super clinics with selected footy stars from the actual league showing us kids how it was done. They handed that booklets called How to Realise Your Dream to Become a Football Star. The booklets didn't work, I know. I knew mine off by heart. Aside from the stars themselves, the specially planned afternoons were often understaffed, so several lucky kids became assistants. I was Trevor Barker's right-hand man at one such event and became head, of the witch- I became head of the witch's hats. I placed him precisely as I was told, and at the end, he ruffled my hair as a reward. Oh, it was love. Due- it was due recognition because on past occasions, I always ended up in groups supervised by some unknown under-19s player from some shocking team that no one cared about. How much weight would their opinion carry with a VFL coach when passing on reports of my superb yet undiscovered skills? Picking up witches' hats. (laughs) (laughs) Naively, I thought the super clinics were thinly veiled recruiting sessions rather than the PR exercises they obviously were. The fertile imagination of a boy. Formed to encourage kids along to the footy, the VFL Junior Supporters Club was a fine idea. Kellogg's cornflakes boxes carried a coupon on the back and once filled in and sent to the correct address, a membership card would be sent entitling the owner to free entry at any five games for that season. There was no limit on the number of members per household, which led to people sending in four or five coupons under different names, ensuring they paid no admission for the whole year. (laughs) The age limit, 15, was rarely policed at the grounds. So it wasn't unusual to see blokes with beer guts and full beards (laughs) among the queue for the Junior Supporters Club entrance gates. At the crack of dawn on Sunday mornings, Channel 7 screened the Junior Supporters Club TV show on which I'd watch out for my club's member's card number in case I won a prize. 
I'd been in it for two whole seasons without winning a thing. Then my next door neighbour, who I'd coached into joining in the first place, won a Saints lunchbox on his second Sunday morning. It's, it's again, the unworthy win. It's, it's not the fair, Ferrari though. story all over again. It's not fair. That's not fair. I'm a loser, baby, so why don't you kill me? <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Back to the book. The Torment. Mondays at school were a nightmare. The Torment. Mondays at school were a nightmare yeah, if, my, if my team had lost on the weekend. Kids sought me out so long as they could sing the score and other stuts invented stuff based on the games that weekend. As soon as the siren sounded on us and killed a victory, I'd start thinking about the kids at school who barracked for the team we'd just beaten. They'd given me their share. I'd endured it from all angles. Some kids would keep on for ages, but as soon as I started asking them to shut up, the whole class would gather together, grab each other's thumbs, one on top of the other, in a totem pole-type motion and say, Hardy's in a stir, stir, stir. Hardy's in a stir. (laughs) Until I either calmed down or shouted out, I am not... You are. <laughs> Your mumsters. <laughs> Variations on well-known songs were sung sometimes by the girls if they wanted to annoy the boys. Wall sing St Kilda. Boo for St Kilda. Down with the magpies and up with the blues. Remember that crap? Various adjustments were made to the lyrics according to their respective allegiances of the singer and their target. For me, school's major role was the easiest way to help me meet up with my mates. Try getting five, six seven or even more friends into one room once you're an adult and see how long that takes. But no no other team rhymes with Matilda. But St Kilda. Yeah, so they're almost born for that put down. Walsing Matilda, boo for Essendon, doesn't rhyme. No. Boo for Richmond, no. Walsing Matilda, boo down with St Kilda. That's neat. Why why not finish me off while I'm failing? Hardy's in a stir. (laughs) Is Is that coincidental? Back to the book. The testing time is the next part of this chapter. Grade five saw the ultimate high arrive. We actually drove a teacher at school mental. We tended to test a new teacher out almost immediately. Before earning a classroom's respect, new teachers had to pass an exam more exhausting than anything they'd ever put to their students. Any chink in their emotional armour was exploited at once. Absolutely, and we could sniff it out a mile away. Miss Helfen survived just three days of torment before throwing in the towel. What was her issue? Well, she looked like the stereotypical librarian. She did well to survive the afternoon when all of us reflected the sun off our watches simultaneously (laughs) straight into her face. (laughs) Yet her persistence merely encouraged us to pick up the pace. We were actually singing a derisory song at the moment she shoved everything off her desk onto the floor and stormed off, never to be set eyes on again. Wow, what we did to some of those teachers. Lou, my wife, said that there was a woman at her school and one of the kids said, you know, Mrs. So-and-so looks like a potato. And they were all like, yes, and they started (laughs) calling her Spud. And so she would appear in a corridor or into a classroom and they go, Spud! (laughs) And it was she knew she looked like a potato and now she knew that they knew. She started wearing Hessian sacks and just get to the bottom of it. Call it quits. No. She just mashed herself in the end. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I'm paying it. Okay. A troubleshooter promptly showed up in Mrs. Helfen's place. Mrs. Sherman had obviously been brought in to do the a tank. job. She'd been brought in to do a job, the tank. We weren't that smart. Didn't know our war history. Mrs. Sherman had obviously been brought in to do a job and announced upon arrival that she was not to be messed with. Far from making us tremble, this was treated as a challenge. It was Janine... It was Janine- Porno pictures that saw her off. 
right? Mrs. Sherman, who we called Fearless Fly after the cartoon character because her eyes seemed to shrink into tiny little dots whenever she removed her Coke bottle glasses. <laughs> my glasses, my glasses. I can't see a thing without my glasses. Faster than a streaking rocket. Speedier than a flash of light. It's Fearless Fly. She lasted two weeks. We knew she was close to the edge when she dragged a girl out of her chair by the hair oh, yeah. up the corridor and into the headmistress's office mm. just for answering back. While the two of them were out of the room, Janine <laughs> held up a copy of Playboy that she'd found in a bush. Or found a bush in the Playboy. <laughs> <laughs> Janine suffered from a million permanent mozzie bites and was very boy-like in her behaviour. Bruce who we called Goose, like to imitate car engines, right? Oh, All wow. the gears up and down, varying his tone according to whether the imaginary car was going uphill or down. He told Janine while the teacher was out of the room that if she didn't flick through every page for all of us to see, he'd tell the teacher what was going on. As Janine complied, Bruce reacted in the car engine vocabulary, <laughs> revving the motor harder as each new naked woman unfolded before us. <laughs> what a marriage. Already seething, Mrs. Sherman returned to the sound and sight extravaganza, which was by that point way beyond explanation. Clapping, jeering, laughing, cheering, a human gearbox going berserk. That is bloody it. I've had it, she screamed tucking her things under her arm oh, and, no. and shouting the words, they were right. They were bloody right. The door slammed behind her. We had exceeded even our own expectations. Why wow, you've seen off two teachers. I suppose we were proud of the achievement. I don't recall any degree of guilt. After all, driving a teacher mad was every kid's ambition. Students from classes known to have done so were held in high regard by their peers. What about the kid who's the human engine slash gearbox? Goose. When, goose. When uh, the teacher picks up and leaves... He must have been redlining it, was he? <laughs> <laughs> he Mad must have Max. pulled out, dropped it back into the third and just gone berserk. What's the what's the turbocharged switch in the Mad Max interceptor? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, come on. Every... <laughs> That's an incredibly that that last bit of what you just did is honestly thrilling. It's thrilling. <laughs> What's that bit? Bathurst when they come breaking yeah. around the corner. Well, it's just kind of an exhaust. It's brilliant. Build up. Yeah, the it's boom, brilliant. Boom, 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 I would listen to a whole boom, podcast boom, of you doing different boom, cars. Boom. <laughs> I can do a supercar, no Go problem. On, do it. Wow. That's incredible. And then, yeah, okay, I'm coming in now. For, I'm putting now. <laughs> Okay, Wansy, no worries. I'll tell you what, I was trying to dodge deep dingo song around here, mate. <laughs> well, Thank just... you very much. Nitrous. Yes. Nitrous was the switch, wasn't it? I don't know. Incredible. I was, I've been, I've got an undiagnosed issue. <laughs> when Mrs. Woods walked in, we were on a hat trick. She had short, straight, dark hair and endearing saucepan-sized eyes as if she'd been animated by a Japanese artist. Vice Principal Mrs. Attica, looking like an aging, unkempt Margaret Thatcher, introduces to our new victim with a damning speech, which began by labelling us as a herd of elephants. 
and ended with a dire warning of the discipline devised for us if we failed to show good manners this time around. What? If you're a herd of elephants, what are they going to get Glenn McGrath in to shoot you? <laughs> <laughs> then, when she dis- then when she disappeared out of the door, her footsteps followed, followed by the sound of 25 trunks trumpeting in our best impersonation oh, good. <laughs> of the herd she had spoken of. Not an of. easy animal to impersonate. No. <laughs> Try and do that. Elephant. Go on. <laughs> That's no. an angry elephant. And I'll, and I'll note, the listeners won't see that you lifted one arm up. <laughs> to trunk, do the trunk. Trunk lock. <laughs> it's almost impossible not to, isn't it? Righto, said Mrs. Woods. Righto. As if nothing out of the ordinary had just happened, regards to elephant herds. I'll get to know you all as I go along, but for now, my first task is to organise a footy tipping competition. As I go around the room, I want you to tell me your names and the team you barrack for. Her immediate appeal to the common denominator, football, coupled with her round, friendly face, floored us all. There was no raising of eyebrows at each other or shrugging of shoulders as if to say, hmm, it's an interesting approach, let's give her a chance. We actually forgot about giving her shit. That year ranks among the best of my school life. She was the first teacher I'd known to ask that we each bring a plate of something on the last day of school. Most of us brought fairy bread and a packet of chips, but the rich kids exposed themselves by arriving with chocolate royals, the crown lager of biscuits. I liked eating crinkle-cut chips, one crinkle at a time, from left to right, enjoying this procedure only marginally more than wearing cheesels on my fingers like rings. Still do. If there's a bowl of cheesels, ten cheesels, and I'll eat them. Is, and it, it is that a law? Me. Should be. Chancing upon to get them on my thumbs now. Chancing upon gigantic twisties or gigantic chips in a packet, Mark, Simon, and I kept them as trophies on top of the TV. If you'd seen any of them, you'd have known they were too special to eat. When sharing our Sam boys, we always placed the green ones and the burnt bits on top before offering the packet to mum or dad, hoping they wouldn't look at their selection en route to their mouths. When bored, we'd put the empty packets in the oven and watch them shrink before poking a hole in the corner oh, yes. and using them as key rings. Mrs. Woods even gave Simon and me a lift to the game when St Kilda played Footscray at the Western Oval that season. We asked to be dropped off about a mile from the ground in case anyone from school saw us getting out of the teacher's car. She'd earned our respect, but there was no need to suck up. Kick to kick, it's another subtitle. The end of a school day meant organising my own movements until tea time. Then mum and dad took over responsibility till it was the teacher's turn again the next day. Having a kick on the street was the easiest option. By myself or with a mate was fine, but ideally there were two kids up each end. One of the pair indicated where they wanted the ball. We'd either take off on a quick lead or point skyward, meaning we wanted to contest the mark. I'd volunteer my back as a stepladder if someone up the other end put it up for a friend to fly for. Then we'd swap positions so I could have a go at the glory. A family of St Kilda supporters lived over the road from us, the Tillies. Damon and Nathan, the younger two of three boys, were good blokes and about the same age as Simon and I. Damon had distinctive white spots in his brown hair where the pigmentation wasn't there, while Nathan was a sandy blonde who looked like someone from an earlier era, as if he should always be viewed in sepia tones. I don't know if it was the way he squared his shoulders or what, but whenever I saw group photos of Olympians from the 40s, I half expected Nathan to be in there somewhere. (laughs) We got along well, yet despite our red, white and black alliance, we never really became great mates. It may have been because we were only ever allowed lemon cordial in their house. The Tillies had white carpet fitted throughout the house and therefore it was not in their mum's interest to have kids spilling brightly coloured drinks all over the place. No problem with lemon cordial. You got an issue with lemon cordial. Call me spoilt, but if I couldn't have a raspberry or lime cordial, then I'd have to hang out somewhere else. My dad is the We were coppers kids as well. Yeah. The filth. 
It does carry a stigma. <laughs> so it should. From time to time. <laughs> <laughs> back to the book. From time to time during a kick to kick, an old bloke looking for a laugh on his way to the shop for some smokes would break his walking rhythm, veer off the footpath and trot out onto the road towards us, offering a tentative lead. Mm. We always obliged that we could barely resist the urge to boot the footy at his face as hard as we could possibly manage. (laughs) (laughs) Poorly placed power lines were always on our footy's flight path. Whenever the ball hit the wrong cable, Mr. came out in his unbuttoned pyjamas to complain about us ruining his TV reception. I can't see Hogan's heroes. Why didn't the council consult the kids about putting in the telegraph poles, we wondered. Where are our rights? Mr. drank a bottle of beer on his back porch every morning for breakfast at 8am. He owned a sausage dog called Fritz, which knew how to wait at the local traffic lights until the coast was clear before crossing. Fritz didn't actually press the button, but we were still impressed. Mr. enjoyed playing the organ after an occasional ale and had a collection of albums by German organists, although I suspect not even he could tell one of those albums from another. and his wife, ordinary individual, if the ball went over the fence, a ball of any kind, mm, they'd, they'd keep the ball and put it on their windowsill on the inside so you could see your own ball that you weren't allowed to have back. That is further evidence for my case, I think. <laughs> it's almost impressive, Yeah, isn't you it? want your ball back? <laughs> oh, you're, you're implying an accent, Bob. Yeah, yeah. And why do you kick it into the power lines? I can't see Hogan's Heroes. And when I watch Hogan's Heroes, you know who I'm barracking for, don't you? <laughs> Colonel Clink. <laughs> he loves beer in the morning, very Bavarian. He tortures you by stealing your balls. He's watching Hogan's Heroes. He's got a dog called Fritz. He's playing the organ. He's playing the organ, listening to German music. What a neighbour, though. You want those characters as kids. He is SS to the max. (laughs) I mean, Stuart Surridge, you're talking about the cricket bat that he preferred to use now. (laughs) (laughs) Cars, back to the book. Cars presented us with another problem during kick to kick. Stationary or otherwise, they got in the way and they were to be avoided in case the ball did the vehicle damage. I despised drivers who parked outside our house. It restricted our enjoyment and Mm. left limited room to send a torpedo sailing. Moving cars were also a cause for concern. Watching each other's backs, we used a clever code to warn each other of oncoming traffic from behind. We'd call out, car, whenever we saw one approaching. (laughs) This method was very effective. While a kick on the road outside the house is good fun, the ultimate is a kick on the ground after a real game. Running around the same turf your heroes had trodden on only 10 minutes earlier was marvellous. Recreating the action gave us goosebumps. At Moorabbin, we'd kick in front of the social club, and I confessed to trying my best in the hope that some talent scout might spot my skills through the windows and sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought this way right up until the age of 17, not realizing until the time I entered the social club after a game myself that the people inside were all too pissed by that point to see themselves in the mirror, let alone sight a potential back pocket champion outside on the ground. Wasn't it thrilling, though, to run onto the ground because in in those days, the siren goes, you run onto the ground, you get to touch your sweaty, oiled player, and then you're on the ground and you're looking down, you can see the stop marks in the mud and you think, they were out here. Yeah. It's like, you know, the song Jerusalem about Jesus crossing the UK. Oh, and he's literally following in, his in the footsteps. of fire. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he was here. Yeah. Moments earlier, I saw it. It's hallowed ground. What's that music? It's from Chariots of Fire. It's oh, the worst. That is the worst attempt. Who can't do the chariot to find music? Go on, do it. No, I've given you credit already for the interceptor. Now, 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 
you're getting there, right? It's recognisable. Luciano and I once made a similar mistake when we were having a kick of the footy at a local oval. An old man wearing a cardigan appeared out of nowhere, walking a Dalmatian, smoking a pipe. He stood watching for a while, which convinced us he was a talent scout of some kind. Sure enough, after witnessing our scintillating skills, he called for us both to come over. You two, oh, look, like, you two look like fit young fellas. You exercise a lot, do you? We nodded eagerly in reply. Mm-hmm. Listen. Why don't the two of you two sprint over to those goalposts and back again, and I'll time you, okay? I'll time you. On the count, one, two, three. And away we went, busting our guts to be the first one back. It was a dead heat, he said. 42 seconds, not bad. And then instead of asking either of us to sign a contract to play for the Saints or the Tigers, as we'd hoped, he requested that both of us take off our T-shirts and show him our shoulders. Get stuffed, we responded in unison without planning before bolting, though in truth we were more upset at not having been recruited by a footy scout any strange suggestion. Now, there's so That's almost an innocent weirdo, isn't it? Well, unless, many... unless the shoulders oh, are the no. gateway to your dick. Absolutely it is. He starts off saying, about, show us yeah. your shoulders. He's grooming you. He's grooming you by saying, hey. Your shoulders? You... Who's got a shoulder fetish? No, it's about removing clothing. What gave him away? I'll ask the listener this. Was it the pipe? <laughs> the cardigan or the Dalmatian? You can answer in your own time. <laughs> or a combination of all three. After any VFL game, we'd swarm onto the ground the second the siren sounded. Following a mad sprint to reach the centre circle first, a flock of footballs flew. The danger was another ball might fly at full pace into your face while you kept an eye on your own. My brother Simon copped more than his fair share. Footies toward his forehead like moths to a flame. Mm-hmm. The mid-air cannon was exciting where you oh. lay into it and it's just cannons off another one. It's like, yeah! Oh, two footies colliding in the yeah. sky. You immediately make friends with the person that propelled the footy to what yours. What a it's weird like, form of unison. You do too. <laughs> Reminds me of that, going back to Nazi era, that famous photo of the two bullets hitting each other in mid-air. Somebody found those bullets and they've now like mounted them as some sort of statue as a uh, tribute to the horrors of... The theatre of war. Hmm. I don't know this. The Not ringing a bell with you. That's hmm. my first war reference after you've made about sixteen of them, and I'm getting nothing back. Obviously, this is your domain, and I'm sorry to step into your territory. No, 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 please. <laughs> Go right ahead. Okay, that'll do us, Lawrence Mooney, for today. I am having a ball, so uh, please join us on the next episode and tell your friends. Bring some friends along. Thanks for joining us. Okay, if you haven't given us a rate and review, now's the time. We're counting on you.